Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, November 14th, 2022. I'm Lou DeVizio. I hope everyone's had the chance to take a deep breath after election week. I know I certainly needed it. It was a wild one locally, around the state and nationally. I hope you caught our live election coverage Tuesday night on Channel 5.4. We also streamed it on the New Mexico in Focus YouTube and Facebook pages. During that broadcast, we had some great insight from former state lawmakers. We had a panel of local journalists. And Gene also talked to our correspondents, Antonia Gonzalez and Gwyneth Dolan, about their series of candidate conversations when they spoke to candidates for governor, Navajo Nation president, and Congress. You can still find it and watch it online on our Facebook page or YouTube if you missed it. I really do think there are some good tidbits in there, even though obviously we know who won. Now, even though the election has passed, we're still working to bring you context on how the results could impact policy in the upcoming legislative session. And we have analysis on how the races ended up the way they did. This week on the podcast, you're going to hear three extended segments with our line opinion panel, breaking down the races for governor, Congress, and several key state offices. But... Let's start with the headlines impacting New Mexicans right now. New Mexican Democrats are celebrating after a congressional sweep and big wins at the state level during last week's midterms. Democratic incumbents for Congress Melanie Stansbury in District 1 and Teresa Leger-Fernandez in District 3 won re-election handily, and District 2 challenger Gabe Vasquez will unseat Republican Yvette Harrell, winning by a margin of just over 1,000 votes. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham walked away with a six-point win over Republican challenger Mark Ronchetti. Bernalillo County District Attorney and Democrat Raul Torres beat Republican Jeremy Gay in the Attorney General's race. And Democrat Maggie Toulouse-Oliver will remain Secretary of State after a double-digit win. You can watch reaction and analysis online on the New Mexico in Focus YouTube channel, including criticism from two former Republican state lawmakers who say GOP leadership carries some of the blame for the party's losses. Democrats also held on to power in the Roundhouse, and lawmakers are already getting ready to follow through on a major campaign promise by codifying abortion rights in the upcoming legislative session. According to reporting in the Santa Fe New Mexican, State Senator Linda Lopez of Albuquerque says she's shaping legislation that she plans to introduce during the 2023 legislative session in January. Senator Lopez also sponsored the 2021 bill that got rid of a decades-old law making it a crime to perform an abortion. The announcement comes as the city of Hobbs, near the southeastern border with Texas, passed an ordinance that would make it difficult for abortion clinics to open there. Clovis is considering a similar measure. The city attorney for Hobbs tells the Santa Fe New Mexican the ordinance is not an outright ban on abortion clinics and that they will revisit its legality if and when state legislation is passed. New Mexico voters in the midterm election overwhelmingly passed Constitutional Amendment 1, which pulls a slightly higher percentage of money from the land-grant permanent fund and makes it accessible for education funding. According to last month's report from the State Investment Council, the land-grant permanent fund sits at $24 billion. Under the amendment, the amount of money withdrawn will increase from 5% to 6.25%, which in real dollars works out to more than $200 million per year. 40% of the newly accessible money will go towards needs of at-risk students, and 60% is for early childhood education. If the fund drops below $17 billion, the provision would pause, And, according to reporting from the Santa Fe Reporter, Congress needs to approve the change before distributions can begin. There were quite a few interesting storylines coming out of Election Day, including turnout. 
Unofficial results from the Secretary of State's office show 703,000 votes cast. That's about 52% of registered voters in the state. It's also 4% lower than the midterm elections in 2018. It's interesting because many national political analysts forecasted losses for Democrats, unless we saw more engagement and higher turnout than usual during a midterm cycle. That didn't happen, and Democrats in our state still did remarkably well. Polling in the governor's race from the Albuquerque Journal had predicted a three-point or closer race just days before Election Day, and Michelle Lujan Grisham ended up with a six-point win. The results seemed to validate some of the governor's campaign strategies, and they also raised questions about how Ron Ketty and his team approached the final days of the race, namely the endorsement from Donald Trump. Gene Grant talks it all through with our line opinion panelists for the week. That's former New Mexico Cabinet Secretary Rebecca Latham, former New Mexico State Senator Dee Dee Feldman, and staff writer for the Albuquerque Journal, Dan McKay. Here's Gene. And we start with the governor's race. This one ended a lot earlier than some folks might have predicted with GOP challenger Mark Ronchetti conceding the race before 11 o'clock on election night. And during our coverage, former state representative Daniel Foley was here and he put it to the Republican Party for failing the messaging battle in several key races. Rebecca, I'm going to ask you this, including this one. What do you think, just in general terms, Mr. Ronchetti's camp went wrong here? Something didn't quite hold or bite, I should say, and then hold for his messaging. Well, I think it's, um, I think... I, I think he just kind of got pigeonholed into this lack of leadership and then abortion. Right. And, you know, it's like once we learned what was really um, what was really tracking with New Mexico voters, especially New Mexico women, right. it was going to be hard, if not impossible, for him to 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 back out of that. Um, I think what he what he did in trying to say we're going to do a constitutional amendment, and we're going to bring it to the voters was his way of, of saying, Hey, even if I'm elected, I can't get this through anyway. But you can't say that. Um, so I think he was just put in a really difficult position. Also, um, with there's a, a lot of muck in the uh, Republican Party in New Mexico, and so he didn't have the best guidance or the best backing. Right. Um, uh, so I, I think. It was not exactly a full-throated support for Mr. Ronchetti from the rest of the GOP here, was it? No, starting with the uh, the, the convention yeah. and the fact that uh, Mark Ronchetti told all of the, the, the delegation, don't vote for me, let's get more Republicans in this, you know, like vote for everybody else. And mm -hmm. it just has, it was, I think he had a very tough road to hoe. But with that being said, I think he ran... Uh, a great campaign. I think he. Be, I think he got a lot closer than anyone expected him to get, mm -hmm. and he deserves some credit for that. There you go, uh, Senator. Interesting uh, quote here from Mylon Simonich. You know him, of course. A quote from an experienced television performer. He, being Mr. Ronchetti, failed to make a clear case for himself. Luhan Grisham caught a break. Ronchetti's negatives outpaced her own. Would you agree with that? Yes, yeah. and I, I feel that he ran a, an extremely negative campaign mm -hmm. that was based on fear, uh, primarily. Uh, I mean, his uh, TV advertising about the early release of mm -hmm. a man who then went on really was shades of Willie Horton mm -hmm. and the uh, Lee Atwater uh, Republican approach to base everything on fear about crime, about inflation, and it just didn't stick. Um, and I think people are turned off by that kind of campaigning. Mm -hmm. um, and Michelle Lujan uh, Grisham had a positive message about what she had accomplished in terms of education, in terms of health care, uh, in terms of um, 
the pandemic, saving lives and uh, sparing uh, New Mexicans, uh, you know, cutting taxes, mm -hmm. uh, giving rebates. Uh, she, she had a record to run on and it was a good one. He did not have a record and he did not say what he would do. That's right. Instead, he just said, ain't it awful right. and it's her fault. Right. Let me ask you to pick up on something Rebecca mentioned as well is Mr. Ronchetti needed to have something from women this cycle. Uh, was there anything else he could have done after he got buried by that Pastor Smotherman revelation? Was there anything he could have done in hindsight to get past that? Uh, that was uh, unforced error yeah. on his mistake, mm -hmm. on his uh, watch, and it was it would be tough. But I think to run a to run to to run a positive campaign on what he would do, right. uh, rather than um, an ain't it awful and and you should fear for the very worst. Yeah. He never flipped the script, in other no. words, as the kids say. Exactly right, uh, Dan. Interestingly. Um, there are folks out there, the economy uh, was a big deal for a lot of folks. You see all the polling, even here in New Mexico. I, I gotta wonder from your, from your view, um, did Mr. Ronchetti hit that hard enough and was there anything there for New Mexicans? Is that a, was that a movable needle, so to speak, the economy here? Infl I gotta include inflation in there as well. Um, yeah, I think so. There, there are certainly all kinds of factors at play in this race, I think that, um, you know, a president being in the White House generally, uh, or excuse me, a Democrat in the White House generally is good for Republicans at the midterm right. or vice versa. Um, so I think that was a benefit to Ronchetti. I think the, you know, the, the Roe v. Wade decision um, was a benefit to Lujan Grisham. Um, but in the end, you know, he, he did come within six points, you know. Um, mm -hmm. That is a much more competitive race than there was four years ago. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that voters are concerned about the economy. They certainly are very sensitive to inflation, um, gas prices. Uh, you know, he tried to harness those issues to his benefit, and um, he just didn't get all the way there, but it was certainly a competitive race. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, interestingly, Mr. Ronkady was three points behind uh, the governor, and then he got an endorsement from Donald Trump. And then it fell to like six points, and it finished out right around six points or even just a little bit more. I'm, I'm curious your take on, on the Trump endorsement. What happened there? So I often refer to New Mexico as bizarro world when it comes to politics. If Trump is endorsing candidates everywhere else and gives them a huge, a huge boost, sure. Trump's endorsing candidates here, and it's, 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 it's not doing that here. Um, I, and, and, I, and I think that... Uh, Mr. Ronchetti really did try to separate himself uh, from Donald Trump, especially after the, the Senate race. Mm -hmm. um, I do, however, um, I, I do want to address, though, I, I think it's just interesting to me that how we can see the same commercials and see two completely different things based on our, our own experiences. And to the senator's point about running a fearful campaign, but you know, based on scare tactics, I felt that that could have gone both ways. Uh, I feel like both of them used a lot of scare tactics, but what I saw that really stuck out to me was on election night, you know, like I'm a sports mom, so I use a lot of sports analogies. And when the governor um, uh, stepped up to the podium to, to accept the victory, um, I, I was really kind of turned off by, um, 
by her nanny nanny boo boo. Like so, so this, I would have that would have been a flag on the play. That would have been excessive celebration. That would have been taunting. Uh, that um, you know we teach our nice. kids to be better. And like our coach says to our kids, when you get to the end zone, act like you've been there before. Right. And I was just a little put off by you know like what I really wanted to hear um, was a message of while 48% of you voted against me. I feel like there's more that brings us together than, uh, than what separates us. And I'm gonna be your governor that's going to bring us together. But she didn't, she said, um, those who voted against me are horrible, awful people. And, um, and our, our, our victory represents that we, you know, good over bad. You don't tell half of your constituency that they're right. bad. So that just was, uh, to me, again, like, I understand what thing resonates with me doesn't resonate with, with Senator, but it just, I wanted to see a little more a unifying message at that moment. Well, just, just on that point, and, and I agree that she, she went overboard there, um, but listen to Ron Ketty's concession speech about how he was walking God's path. Yes. And the people, uh, and, and, and now New Mexico would be taking another path, not God's path, mm -hmm. but another path, and he just wished them well. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I mean, there's blame to go around mm -hmm. uh, here, and both of them could have done better. Interesting point there. Dan, a lot of money was spent in this race, this governor's race. Ron Ketty raised over $9 million. That's a lot of money for a challenger around here, a lot of money. So it can't be that. It can't be they didn't have enough money for enough messaging. Um, but after this race, where are we now with gubernatorial races? New high water mark? We should expect more money at this point? Are we going to fall back to a more mellow race next time around? I doubt that. Yeah, it certainly seems like the races get increasingly expensive. You know, there's, yeah. a, lot of, there's a lot at stake in these races. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, it's, it's big business. You have a lot of, um, you know, consulting companies that are based, based around running elections every right. year. Um, and so, yes, yeah, certainly it was an expensive race. Ron Ketty even outraised the governor in certain critical periods down the stretch. Um, but she uh, obviously had a huge head start having been in office for four years. But, um, but yeah, these, these are expensive campaigns and I don't think that's gonna change. Yeah, 12 and a half million for the governor, Senator. That's a, again, that's a lot of money. Well, and the outside money. The out, there was, a, there was a 11.3 million spent by the Democratic uh, forces um, a stronger New Mexico, and then the Republican Governors um, Association, they spent six million. So, I mean, it's really, it's really getting up there, but it's not as expensive as in other states. That's a good point. Yeah, for perspective, exactly mm -hmm. right. Rebecca, I'm curious again, for the Republican Party, there's work to do to pick up the pieces, so to speak, and money is a big part of that. Are there folks in place now who can raise this kind of money again after such a defeat? Do you know what I mean here? Something just doesn't seem quite clicking here on the Republican side of things here. Yeah, I feel like Mark Ronchetti was the Republican Party's best shot uh, mm -hmm. as far as, um, as, far as a, a fundraiser. Um, personally, and I will say this speaking on behalf of the thousands of members of the Republican Party who are now not affiliated or now registered as independents, mm -hmm. that the, the Republican Party leadership in New Mexico is just not cutting it. Um, you know, we, we need leaders, we need two, nah, no, not two, we need multiple healthy parties. I think Canada has five right. primary, five major parties. We need a lot of, of, of major parties, but, but like we're, you know, like right now, where we are uh, shift 
in such a, a huge majority of, uh, of Democratic elected officials, mm. like we're not going to have a balance for a while. It's gonna, and I don't know how we're ever going to get back there. And this Republican leadership has not demonstrated that they know how to get us back. Right. How many more? You know, I don't want you to speak for the Republican Party, but when you see this as a strong Democrat senator, uh, happy days for Democrats, knowing the other side just doesn't have a bench or money or cohesion. There's a lot of missing pieces there on the other side, so to speak. Yeah, but mm -hmm. you know, if you have a large majority in the legislature, yeah. a large Democratic majority, there are also opportunities for factions right. there. Right. And it, it also, in some ways, when you have a small Republican minority, that they harden, they harden, and they are unwilling to compromise in any respect. Right. Um, and because of the institutional setup in the legislature, um, they can slow things down, and uh, you know it doesn't really matter how mm -hmm. uh, how many there are. If there's one person that's willing to filibuster for two hours, three hours, four hours, uh, because they're mad at the Democrats, they're going to do it. Right. You know, right. so it, there needs to be. We need some kind of realignment here. Mm -hmm. uh, we need some reforms that will that ease partisanship. Mm -hmm. and uh, make it so that people can come together mm -hmm. on those things that they agreed on. And there are many yeah. that are agreed upon. Just as we suspected, Congressional District 2 is still the race we're thinking and talking about now nearly a week after the election. It took until Wednesday, but Democratic challenger Gabe Vasquez has declared victory, and Republican Yvette Harrell has conceded her seat. That's with Vasquez winning by a margin of just over 1,000 votes. Gene and the panel discuss how Vasquez was able to pull it off and if a pending lawsuit from the state GOP over the newly drawn lines in the district will cause any lingering controversy. Both candidates in Congressional District 2 are acknowledging a major upset. According to unofficial voting data from the Secretary of State's office, Democrat Gabe Vasquez has an advantage of just over 1,000 votes, as you've probably heard, over Republican incumbent Yvette Harrell. Now, that pushed him to declare victory Wednesday, and Ms. Harrell has conceded her seat. And Dan, let me start with you. Are you, are you surprised Ms. Harrell isn't pushing for a recount, even given her denial of the 2020 elections? Got to throw that in there. But, you know, 1,000-plus votes is not a whole lot. Are you surprised? I was a little surprised that, that she conceded quickly. Um, her, her history in um, 2018, I... I, I I don't recall her um, conceding very quickly at all, and there was some talk. There was some talk of litigation and things right. like that, and this was just a razor thin margin. Um, but uh, apparently, she took a, th a look at the numbers and decided it it just wasn't worth it. I, th I think a candidate has to pay if um, yes. for a recount if it's not within the uh, the automatic margin. So that That's may right. have been a factor as well. That's right, and they pay for everything if it turns out they don't flip the script, so to speak, yeah. Senator. Um, a pending lawsuit over, uh, from the Republican Party over, over redistricting, particularly CD2. I'm curious your thoughts on that. I, I want to talk about redistricting kind of in whole in a little bit, but uh, in this specific case, do you think the party will try to make a, a fuss over this a little bit more? Yes, uh, yeah. definitely. Redistricting was the major factor in this uh, congressional election. Right. Uh, each of the districts was made uh, more competitive between Republicans and Democrats, uh, but none more so 
than uh, down south where um, some of those heavily Republican districts were uh, put into uh, CD1 and CD3. Um, and so, yes, um, the Republicans will be a day late and a dollar short mm -hmm. there with their lawsuit because it won't affect the outcome here. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it might add grist for the mill to the idea that we really need a truly independent redistricting uh, commission mm -hmm. uh, rather, uh, rather than one where the legislature still has the final say. Mm -hmm. Although I do think that the redistricting process was much better sure. this year. Yeah. And um, they did adopt many of the ideas of that uh, commission. Mm -hmm. Interesting points there. You know, guys, when I look at the results coming in, of course, for CD2, uh, Mr. Vasquez, he cleaned up in a lot of areas close to the metro, meaning up here, Bernalillo County, he was plus 18. Uh, lots of, you know, he was plus, plus, plus in huge counties, Rebecca. And Ms. Harrell, of course, cleaned up in her home area. And I, I gotta wonder, is are we now a CD2 world where you gotta lean into the Albuquerque metro part of it a whole lot more than your natural rural part of your state? And who does that benefit over the long run? You see what I'm trying to drive at here? I think it, Interesting. I think for now, as long as the districts stay within the boundaries that they are set right now, then yes, you, you can't, the numbers just don't make sense for you to only focus on rural New Mexico for, for, that, for that district. Mm -hmm. I participated in the redistricting process for the city of Albuquerque mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. And so I sat through the same Brian Sanderoff uh, presentations, uh, learned m so much about the principles of redistricting and what you're really trying to do is keep districts the most intact. You're, you're, you're trying to have the, the least amount of change on voters wherever they are. And, and so ultimately the Albuquerque City Council ended up adopting the recommendation that really had the least amount of change. Not so for the state of New Mexico and for those congressional districts. So with that shift, you know, you, you, just going by the numbers, there really should have been a lot more energy spent in Bernalillo County. Right. Did Ms. Harrell spend a lot of, enough time up here? I don't recall her really stumping that hard in this new part of her district. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm yeah. not a constituent of hers, yeah. and so I didn't see her much up here. I know that it was, it, it took me a little while to figure out why we had ads for uh, that race running in the Albuquerque metro area. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, so, so I didn't, I, yeah, a lot of ads. I didn't, yeah. I didn't see her here, um, and I know that there's a lot to be said for the southern part of Bernalillo County and rural and agriculture and, and how it can relate to the southern part of the state, but um, uh, whatever it was, it clearly didn't work. Right. Interesting, when I look at these numbers here, again, Mr. Vasquez was plus 18 in Bernalillo County. He was plus 13 in Doña Ana County, his home county. I mean, he really did well up here. I, I, I gotta wonder why that is. But Dan, another interesting thing that happened during uh, the last part of the campaign was Mr. Vasquez not joining Mr. Biden on his visit here. We mused about that a little bit on Tuesday night about why that might have been. Any intel on, on, or even your own thoughts about why he passed up a sitting president visit in his own party? Uh, well, uh, Biden is, you know, his, pop, his popularity is not high. That's right. why, um, you know, the underlying fundamentals really kind of favored Republicans. Um, a lot of people thought heading into this election because mm -hmm. we, you know, we're at the midterm of, a, of an unpopular president. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
you know, it could be just that we've entered an area where all our presidents are going to be unpopular. You know, it's hard, it's hard to know. People are so polarized right. and angry. Um, but yeah, that I, that I assume was a deliberate choice not to join Biden on the campaign trail. All, all, almost all the other Democrats were there. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he made that choice, and I mean, he, he won the election. So I'm, I'm guessing right. he's not second-guessing himself. That's, thank you for that. Uh, you know, it was easy to put that in a weird box at the time, but now looking back, it's always like, hmm, pretty smart there. Uh, Senator CD1, um, obviously, Melanie Stansbury held uh, 12 percentage points. Is the district more competitive being redrawn here? Speaking about redrawing, I mean, we have a Republican who was their second time in as a, as a challenger here, but not much better. What, what do you think about CD1's redrawn? I think, well, CD1 has a few more rural areas right. than it did before. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Melanie campaigned in those areas in Torrance County, uh, mm -hmm. a little bit of Santa Fe County. Um, and I think she, she has a very good reputation. Um, she, um, she's carved out a spot for herself in mm -hmm. terms of uh, being a water expert yes. and also, um, you know, all of the Democratic, uh, uh, the two Democratic women incumbents were very good at using the fact that they had about infrastructure. Right. Biden's infrastructure bill really benefited New Mexico, and he benefited, and it benefited those rural areas. You could see it up north with the response to the fire as well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Melanie was uh, played on that very well. Um, she also. Uh, has a way of supporting and joining hands with local Democratic candidates, mm -hmm. uh, which I think really uh, served her very well mm -hmm. in some of those uh, some of those areas. Some of those candidates didn't win, uh, but she tried to help them, and I think in turn that helped her. Interesting point there because I'm recalling in, in her candidate conversation with our own Gwyneth Dolan, she embraced the new parts of the district. She felt like, yeah. I'm ready for Roswell. this, let's just go. She said, oh, my yeah. grandmother lived in Roswell. That's right. I really, you know, I really am so happy to, to, to have that. Mm -hmm. If I can jump Please. in right there. Please, absolutely. Yeah. You know, immediately after redistricting, after the legislature redistricted, mm -hmm. Stansbury was like the first person who came out and was like, I'm excited to reach out to Torrance County and these rural areas and, you know, I'm gonna try and serve all these new constituents. And she, she was probably the most vocal among all the mm -hmm. uh, sitting Congress people about, you know, okay, I'm gonna embrace this new area I have. That's right, good point. I'm glad you brought that up because mm -hmm. she really was out front on that. Rebecca, interesting, Michelle Garcia Holmes, I mentioned that was her second try at this. Didn't quite work. What didn't click there? Was it a PR problem, an issues problem? What happened? I, I think it was likely, I suspect it was an issues problem going mm -hmm. back to the campaign against her that used her words. And I guess, I mean, they are her words mm -hmm. uh, about abortion. Mm -hmm. And especially in this district, yes. you know, we are incredibly passionate about uh, women's rights, women's health rights. Uh, you know, again, I think it's so easy to throw around abortion, abortion, abortion. This is not about abortion. This is about a woman's right to make decisions for her own health. And so that just doesn't get enough traction here in the, in the metro area. And, um, and then the numbers where it does get traction are not enough to, to come back from that. Yeah, good point there. Let's go to CD3 real quick. Um, Senator incumbent, of course, Teresa Legere Fernandez. Not a bad, you know, 37,000 votes more than her opponent, and that added up to six points. 
again, the same question about redistricting. Let's go there first. Did that she seemed to be embracing of the new district as oh, well? No. Initially, yeah. she was very uh, dubious. She thought her her chances were, were diminished by the new ah. by the new district, and then she warmed up to it. Gotcha. Uh, and and did very well. I think she ran a terrific campaign. Her mm -hmm. commercials were among the best yeah. uh, that I've seen this cycle. Yeah. Um, she just she sort of based her campaign on love, mm. <laughs> which is you know a rather uh, a unique thing. I saw a picture of her. And, and a couple of her supporters mm -hmm. uh, out at the polling place on election day, I think it was at the Santa Fe Fairgrounds. And uh, uh. There, there was music, there were handmade signs, yeah. there were people that were enthused and of course thankful to her for their, their help after the fire. She, was, she really pitched herself as a daughter of Northern right. New Mexico, Daughter didn't she? Mexico. Quite effectively. Yeah. I have to mm -hmm. agree, those TV ads were, were really well. Rebecca, I'm, 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 I'm curious your, your thoughts on CD3 as well. Again, in the challenger, second time around, I misspoke, it, wasn't, it was more than six points she won by, by the way. Sorry about that. Um, what did not work for the challenger up there this time? I just, um, I, and again, it's not, I, I don't have as much insight there. Right. Um, it's just my own personal opinion that she just was not able to um, t to rally enough. I mean, you have to, I, I think if, if you either have to be like really, really for something or really, really against something in that situation and whatever she was really, really against, right. uh, Teresa Ledra Fernandez was more for things. So I don't, I just don't think that Alexis Martinez Johnson had enough uh, for people to rally around. I gotta, she's an oil and gas person for sure, uh, steadfast, but climate change is a big issue here. I gotta wonder in the broadest sense, do Republicans perhaps need to change their tone and tenor on climate change in New Mexico uh, to, get, to get votes, frankly? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. I, I yeah. mean, because I, I'm, you know, that's one of the reasons that that I am so um, that I am so connected to th being an independent voter, mm -hmm. because um, I, I feel like I don't the, re the the message of, yes, oil and gas, so important to New Mexico. It pays for our schools. It mm -hmm. pays for our roads. It pays for public safety. It's everything. But we're also going to try and get rid of it. Uh, but then it's very confusing. And I don't like the tone deaf. Uh, approach that the Republican Party has taken to um, uh, to climate change sure. and uh, and how it's going to impact New Mexico's future. Especially when you have the other side pounding that issue, you can't just like not touch it right. and s at some levels. It's interesting. I'm interested in your thoughts on that as well, Senator. Yeah, but don't think that the oil and gas interests don't also court the Democrats right. and pour lots of money into Democratic campaigns, including the uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham, right. including the um, the head of the Appropriations Committee in the House. Mm -hmm. uh, they are uh, they are big donors there because mm -hmm. they know that their fate lies in the hands of the governor and the, and the legislature. Right. Dan, your thought on that as well, the idea that the oil and gas industry still has a big say here, so to speak, financially and otherwise, and not just in their home area, you know, Hobbs, et cetera, but all over the state. Is there, are there fingerprints here from the, from the oil and gas industry? We should pay attention yeah, to. Yeah, I, th I think that, um, you know, both parties are cognizant, whether they want to say it out loud or not, that oil and gas is a, just a huge 
uh, provides an enormous amount of revenue for the state government, mm -hmm. and it also injects a ton of money into campaigns. And I think that mm -hmm. uh, that certainly gives you a seat at the table, you know, whether you're talking to a powerful Democrat or right. de powerful Republican, um, you know, and to, to kind of build on Rebecca's point, um, you know, for some of these Republican candidates, you know, they're in a blue state and they, they do need to, um, so in order to win, they have to pick up Democratic votes, you know. So, um, you know, being attuned to climate change or some of these other issues that they feel like might cross over, um, right. you know, to, to win, these candidates are going to have to get some re Democrats to vote for Republicans. It's awfully tough coming out of a brutal primary season where you got to really throw red meat out there and then suddenly make a big switch in the general. That's awfully tough, Rebecca, isn't it? It's yeah, a difficulty. I it's so awful that, um, that frankly, you have to be extreme to win a primary, right. and then you have to be more moderate to win a general. And, it, and then it comes out as, well, flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop. And, mm -hmm. and then again, that's where we end up with, um, with uh, disengaged voters, because mm -hmm. you're really for someone, and then, and then they're not for that anymore. And then you're left saying, well, then I just don't want to go to the, the, the polls. I really feel like the statewide elections had a huge impact, too, on the, on the congressional elections, because low, we're so local right yes. New Mexicans yes. were so local and so yeah. if you don't have enough people who are really passionate about who they're gonna vote for 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 governor that will impact the races for Congress Good points there in their final discussion Gene and our panelists dig into some of the other influential state races like Attorney General and Secretary of State Democrats held on to both of those seats and maintained control in the roundhouse that's as two state house races are headed for automatic recounts. Here's Gene. The race for governor stole many of the statewide headlines, but if you watched any of the TV at all in the last month, you know the contest for attorney general was pretty contentious too. Bernalillo County DA and Democrat Raul Torres ends up with a decisive 10 point win as polling predicted. And again, this raises questions, uh, D.D. Feldman, about the direction of the Republican Party. I say that to say this, Jeremy Gay seemed to be a strong candidate who needed help with name recognition and he didn't get it. Interesting point there. He could have given Mr. Torres a much tougher go, it would seem to me, especially on crime. But something didn't click there. Your thoughts on that? Well, he was a newcomer. Yeah. He was a newcomer to politics, uh, which can be a plus. Um, True. And uh, I thought his positions were good and um, his last commercial was really funny. Um, and. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was uh, I was surprised also that he didn't get the support from the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. uh, just seems um, it just seems ill-conceived that he did not, right. um, because even if if somebody like that loses, uh, there may be a future for him. That's right. Um, That's right. And so, um, you know, um, I hate to put it out there this way. I got to ask you, African American in the Republican Party, was there a problem there? I mean, is that why we didn't have a full-throated, you know, support of him? I didn't even know he was an African American, uh, and maybe that's maybe that uh, says something. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And um, well, maybe so was the lieutenant governor for the for the you know uh, Ann Thornton also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not drawing conclusions yeah. here, the, just, just asking. Did, right. Yeah. Well, so was John <laughs> Allen, the, sheriff, yeah. the sheriff's uh, candidate. That's right, again. Uh, the Democrat. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I feel like race is less of, a, of an issue here than, uh, mm -hmm. than it could have been. Mm -hmm. yeah, good point there. Rebecca, 
again, 10 points, I'm, I'm, I'm just shocked. I mean, the DA's race, crime never seems to stick to the DA. I don't get why that is, or Mr. Gay tried. I mean, it wasn't for an effort, that's for sure. No, and it's funny that you mentioned that about just crime doesn't stick to a DA, mm -hmm. um, because we had this conversation in, in my house this morning, actually. Mm -hmm. So I, and I know we're not supposed to talk about this openly, but I'm an open book. I voted for Raul Torres mm -hmm. uh, because I like him. Sure. And then my husband said, why would you, why would you promote the, the, you know, like in Bernalillo County where we have the worst problem, why would you vote right. to promote him to statewide office? And I said, oh, I didn't even think about it that way. I right. just really like the guy. Um, I, I've seen him speak before. Uh, and, I, and I think what, after hearing him speak, what, what I was left with the feeling of, this is not his fault. Right. This is the legislature's yeah, fault. It's the, um, the, the courts. Uh, it's everyone's fault but Raul's. And that was what I left with. And so it was interesting, again, talking to my husband and then also hearing it. Um, I, I was hearing um, Darren White speak about it mm -hmm. on the radio earlier. You know, mm -hmm. Same kind of thing. Like, why, why doesn't crime stick to the DA? But, right. you know, it's done now. It is interesting. You know, Dan, another interesting element, um, the stances on bail reform. Bail reform. I found this interesting. Mr. Torres, of course, favored the hardline approach to rebuttable presumptions. We've talked about here on this, at this table uh, a bunch, you know, essentially forcing a defendant, as you know, to prove he or she isn't a danger to the public so they can get out before they go to, before they go to trial. Um, Jeremy Gay had a pretty good stance on this, maintained it should be a prosecutor's responsibility to prove that defendant poses a threat. Was that just a little too much nuance here? Because again, this could have been a real hammer blow and kept it simple. Do you know what I'm saying? Did, it, it, in your view, did something not catch with Mr. Gay's response here? This is a really complicated issue, yes. and I think it's difficult to, um, to explain it to voters, certainly in kind of a political setting. Mm -hmm. um, Torres's message, um, you know, to, to Rebecca's point, was kind of, you know, casting himself as, um, you know, the one who was fighting to put people in jail and right. sort of, this difference between he's the adversary of the system, you know, right. he's fighting this rotten system. And that, I think, is an e easier message to deliver, perhaps, than the one that, that Jeremy Gay had. But mm -hmm. um, it is a really complicated issue. And, um, you know, the attorney general does a lot of things besides just crime. Right. So, um, right. you know, Torres's election is going to put him in, um, you know, he's going to be handling new issues like consumer protection and all kinds of civil litigation. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Um, the DA's office can sometimes be an interesting stepping stone to other things in politics. Again, not to make you make predictions. Um, do you see something for Mr. Torres down the road? I know he just got in office <laughs> days, a matter of moments ago, but anything there you're seeing for further down the road from him? He certainly seems like a really ambitious person. Yeah. You know, he's gone to all the, the best schools. Yep. Um, he's a been a federal prosecutor, a district attorney. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the last governor, of course, was a district attorney. Mm -hmm. um, Attorney General itself has also been a stepping stone for um, a lot of politicians. So right. um, Torres is at an age where he could be in the political game for a really long time, and right. who knows what he's going to run right. for. Senator, you've seen this as well. I always to say, I like to say, this position is the white knight of, of can be of a state. Come and rescue things, right, right wrongs, right. put money in people's pockets, back in people's <laughs> pockets that's been taken. So I'm curious where you th see Mr. Torres as well as how he did this time around. Well, he'll have to change his image from a crime fighter and a DA to, uh, to, to a broader consumer protector, right. uh, a uh, defender of New Mexico when it comes to water, when it comes mm -hmm. to pharmaceutical prices, right. uh, when it comes to uh, 
to other issues. And, um, you know, other offices too, like the auditor and the treasurer, they have, especially the auditor has been a stepping stone for uh, off for um, people that have gone into become the become the AG especially, um, so you know and Secretary of State mm -hmm. could be uh, a stepping stone although it has not been in the past, mm. um, and it's kind of an underrated office I think in the state. That's right. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, the current office holder who just re got her seat, Megatulus Oliver. I got to ask you, Rebecca, Rebecca, you know, she won by 11 points. Meanwhile, her opponent was an election denier. Some might say that's a bit of a layup, but our Secretary of State has been through a lot. She was in hiding on election night when you really think about it. Earned victory, not earned victory because of her opponent. How do you see her 11-point victory in context? I think it just speaks volume again about how uh, what what um, really people pick up on in other states does not track here. And I think, you know, you look next door to Arizona, uh, election deniers are, are, you know, like still really heavy in it, mm -hmm. still neck and neck. But mm -hmm. here, you know, New Mexicans aren't standing for any of that stuff. Like we know mm -hmm. what's what's up. And, and I think that's I think that's still possibly a turnoff, um, uh, but I think that our current Secretary of State has done a good job. She's um, she's brought about some, uh, so she's made it more I think more accessible. We we're just kind of speaking about uh, more voting more accessible, and sure. um, and uh, and so I think that that I think that that is one of the only actual victories in the state where the the uh, the winner has um, bragging rights. Yeah. I think every yeah. other every other race was so close. I don't think anybody should be like, "Yay, I win, I win," because they were all so close. Interesting point there. You know, uh, speaking of Andre Trujillo, of course, uh, she wanted the uh, end requirements for in-person voting. Uh, you know, vote by mail, Mailing. right? And people oh, are so. used to that now. Yeah. They sort of like that yes. now. Was that an yes. appropriate way to go into a Secretary of State's race? No. Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, I think the the thing that. Uh, about Maggie is that she has balanced the security as well as the access and she's also been kind of the explainer. Mm. Uh, she has put out a lot of information about how it actually works, mm -hmm. how our votes counted, mm -hmm. um, how we have paper ballots, how our, uh, how our voting machines are not connected to the internet and mm -hmm. it's designed to um, reduce tensions and to uh, answer questions and she's not out there proclaiming rah-rah on her victory right. but this was a big victory for uh, for facts and oh, yeah. for uh, people uh, and for democracy mm -hmm. really because mm -hmm. that was what was at stake at this election and uh, she didn't raised the flag that much ab about it. She just did it. Mm -hmm. And she led her county clerks to do it as well. Right. Um, and they worked hard and the election came out off with uh, out much of a glitch. We haven't heard anything from Otero County or any place else has been recent dust ups. So that might tell the tale there. Uh, Dan State Legislature, of course, the balance of power appears to be holding for Democrats. We've got two races outstanding as we sit here taping this uh, a day before Friday night's airing. Um, but altogether, Democrats are set to flip two seats and lose three, you know, pending those uh, accounts. But we're, no red wave here for New Mexico. Well, anywhere in the country, but here in New Mexico, it just didn't happen, did it? You know, heading into the, the election, the Republican leadership was pretty optimistic that they were going to pick up some seats. Right. Um, 
you know, Albuquerque Democrats, uh, Albuquerque used to be pretty divided, you know, between Republicans and Democrats. Um, and it has uh, really turned blue recently with only Bill Ream, one Republican, you know, sort of left. Right. Um, so I think Republicans were optimistic, especially with, you know, crime rates, inflation, other things that they really had a chance to mm -hmm. hold Democrats responsible for that and, and expand their majority. But um, the way the results look now, it, it didn't happen. The red wave didn't happen. Democrats, I think, are, you know, if they come out of this with the same number of seats or even lose one, I mean, they're going to be pretty happy with that, mm -hmm. I think. I mean, Democrats pulled a seat in Rio Rancho. I, you know what I mean? There was some interesting wins here for Democrats, let alone any kind of red wave. And they were mostly women. Right. Uh, if point. you look at it, they were mostly women, too. Mm -hmm. uh, Pamela Herndon, yep. Meredith Dixon, Natalie Figueroa, um, uh, Marion Matthews, Good um, yep. and uh, that they held their own mm -hmm. in in the in the Heights, and they got a lot of help from the Democrats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They got a lot of help from Melanie Stansberry, well, there you go who too. softened yeah. up the ground in yep. advance for them. That's right. Uh, two years ago. That's right. Demonstrating what can be done in those mm -hmm. districts, and and she's done it. Mm -hmm. You know, Rebecca on Dan's point. Interesting. Um, if the Albuquerque-based Republicans couldn't push through on crime. Where can crime be pushed through? I mean, we're, here we are sitting, we're always talking about crime and no one pays a price. It's, it's an amazing thing. And I don't, I honestly, I don't know what it's going to take um, other than we just need to get more people to the polls. Right. And I think that our current practices are not, um, uh, don't lend themselves to really getting people mm -hmm. um, up off the couch or even to mail in a ballot early if you don't i mean like i haven't felt so enthusiastic and passionate about any political candidate since barack obama like that i woke up every morning excited about that election now it's kind of like well it's the lesser of two evils it's always going to be the lesser of two evils no matter what the race and until we as a state can do something dramatically different that really inspires people mm -hmm. to vote mm -hmm. you know then we're going to continue to be last in this we're going to continue to have the highest in that mm -hmm. um and i think you know you're right if if crime can't flip albuquerque <laughs> then nothing can. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. Let's talk about redistricting. Just got a couple of minutes. Uh, Dan, your sense of how it may have affected any key races you can think of redistricting? Um, um, mm -hmm. Well, for the state house, um, Jane Powdrell Colbert, um, yes. the only Republican incumbent to lose, um, she was in a much different district right. um, because of redistricting. Mm -hmm. um, she lives in Corrales. Um, that district also had some Rio Rancho and Albuquerque in it. Um, right. But we're seeing some of these, you know, more suburban areas also go Democratic. But she was in a much more Democratic district, so I think that was certainly a factor for her. Yeah. But conversely, the district right next to her, Damon Eli's mm -hmm. old district, was also reconfigured, and it went Republican. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was kind of <laughs> almost a trade-off. I think the right. redistricting yeah. didn't necessarily change the composition of the legislature so much, but right. it, it hurt an um, incumbent. It hurt Powdrow Colbert's mm -hmm. chances. But mm -hmm. meanwhile, there's a, a Republican district right next to it. I think it's Alan Martinez one. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, so so yeah, so you end up with a net effect where maybe there's not that much change overall. But right. uh, certainly for Jane Powdrow Colbert, it certainly feels sure. like right. a big deal. Oh, boy. Yeah. And one of the mm -hmm. big um, one of the big uh, issues in redistricting is the degree to which incumbents should be protected. Gotcha. 
And of course, the uh, commission said, we don't want to consider that as part of our uh, deliberations. But the legislature, that's job one, <laughs> to protect the incumbent. Mm -hmm. So um, in fact, it's job one to such a degree that uh, in our legislature, 43% uh, of the seats are uncontested because, so they're, because they're safe seats. That's right. We've got to talk about that in the future show. I'm so frustrated looking at a ballot and seeing uncontested races. It just mm -hmm. goes against everything. <laughs> you know, I wanted a democracy. It's crazy. Thanks again to our line panel here live. Really good fun this week. Now, be sure to let us know what you think about any of the topics these folks covered on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. And catch you any episode you may have missed on the PBS video app, on your Roku, or your smart TV. Thanks to Gene and our panelists for the week. It was a nice change to have our panelists back in studio for the first time in more than two years. Of course, we've been very careful at NMPBS when it comes to COVID-19, and we will continue to be. You might see us back on Zoom for a week or two if we feel it's the prudent move, but either way, we're going to keep working to bring you the context and perspective that you've come to rely on from us. Thank you for listening to the podcast for this week. If you don't watch already, check out our show Friday nights at 7 o'clock on NMPBS. If that doesn't work for you, we always repost it on our YouTube channel, individual segments too, so you can watch it there whenever you have the time. Also, keep an eye on our social media pages for updates throughout the week and for previews leading up to our show on Friday nights. Thanks again, guys. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio for Monday, November 14th, 2022. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.